Gratitude That's my everyday Have you ever looked up at the stars and just wondered what it all means? Asking yourself, how do we get here and where are we going? When I look out in the world, I see so many people getting lost in their stories, rarely thinking about or asking the bigger, unanswerable questions of the universe. Like, what's the purpose of life? How did we come to be? And what happens when we die? Well, this is pretty much all I think about. And so I decided to start asking others as well. Welcome to Quantum Coffee. Who you were is not who you are, and it doesn't mean it's who you have to be. And if we do put in the work and bring awareness to what's going on internally, we can make the changes that we desire. And a key aspect of the awareness equation is understanding how the mind is going to trick and manipulate us from doing that. What is it that your mind uses whenever it's time to take action on this goal or this um, endeavor that you do that makes you think it's helping you get closer, but it's not. All right. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Quantum Coffee. My guest today is a really interesting man. Um, I met him when I moved to Austin a little over a year ago, uh, randomly, and a synchronistic moment that the universe has been providing me a lot of lately um, at a Toastmasters event. He was the first guy I met. I haven't been to Toastmasters ever since. Uh, we went and got some coffee. And as I got to know him a little bit more, he's got a wild, crazy journey. He's traveled the world, I think it was for six years, over 100 countries. Um, and we just barely scratched the surface of his experiences um, and his wisdom. Um, he's an amazing guy. Uh, I don't know if I said his name yet. His name's Cam Knight. Um, he is a mindset coach right now, providing a lot of value. He's written 10 books. Um, and he's just a really interesting guy. And I really enjoyed this conversation. We probably meet like once a month and have these deeper conversations about the universe, about the state of the world, about a wide variety of different things. And I know you guys are going to love it. So without further ado, I'm going to let you listen. Actually, I'm going to, since I don't have any sponsors on my podcast yet, I'm going to go ahead and plug myself. My community just launched. If you're a former male, professional athlete, and you were looking for community, you feel isolated, alone, um, but you feel like you want to be plugged into a community of like-minded, high-achieving former athletes who are going through a similar experience, but also want to reach their highest potential, check out my community. It's called The Heart Collective, H-A-R-T. Find out more information at theheartcollective.com. Would love to hear from you. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram at The Heart Collective. Um, yeah. Enjoy the episode. Cam, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Joe. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, man. So we met in Austin kind of synchronistically, which is really cool, at a, what was it? Uh, Toastmasters event. It's the only Toastmasters event I've ever been to. And you were the first guy I met there. 
And then we ended up connecting and going to get coffee. And when you started sharing your journey with me, it uh, completely blew my mind. So you know, let let let's start there. You know, uh, see where it takes us. Um, kind of talk about your world travels and and kind of how you came to that that journey that you've been on. Okay, well, my world travels. There's a kind of an interesting story that was a precursor to that, and it really goes all the way to the time I had my first stop. As far back as like, um, interestingly enough, I had my first thought when I was very young, like at the age of like one or one and a half. Do you I remember, remember that first thought? It's crazy, but I do. I remember wow. jumping on the bed with my sister and we we're laughing and giggling. And all of a sudden thoughts began appearing in my head and it freaked me out. I didn't know where the thoughts came from, why they were there and wanted nothing more than for them to leave. In fact, I was... I remember thinking, when is this going to stop or uh, when is this going to go away? And it's weird to be thinking about your own thinking at such a young age, but that's when I became aware. And since then, I've had a very unquiet mind. In addition to the hyperactive thoughts, I had a lot of trouble sitting still, paying attention, organizing my thoughts, and more or less learning, interacting, and communicating with people. So anything that involved the mind, I had a lot of challenges around. And when people hear this, they immediately think ADD or tension deficit hyperactivity disorder. And what I tell them is, I wish it were only ADD. It was much more severe than that. In addition to my hyperactive thoughts, uh, my, emotional, my emotions are raging and cycling really intensely. Some days I was feeling one way and other days completely different. So one day I'd be happy and wanting to hug the world and other days like raging with anger. And we, when people hear this, they immediately think bipolar. And I'm like, I wish it was that simple too. Because like my, my physical state was changing constantly. And I remember back in the day, I would see the day's look on people's eyes when one of these shifts would happen. They were so confused by how one minute I was acting one way and another minute completely different, as if I changed into a, an, another person. <clears throat> and the best way to describe my state back then was I felt like I was going to spontaneously combust, but the tragedy of it was that I never did. And so I grew up like this. And, you know, when you're young, it's not unusual to be a bit hyper and out of control. And it's almost expected. And the expectation is also that you'll grow out of it. Unfortunately, I didn't grow out of it. In fact, it got worse. And so this really was a trigger for a lot of my healing and personal development and a journey that led me across nearly 100 countries because what I was doing was really trying to figure out what was going on and how to contain the mayhem. And initially, I started off with, you know, um, person development and a lot of traditional things. But once I started traveling, I, was, I had this mindset that I was willing to do anything and everything to figure out what was going on. And that really led me all over the world. When did that, um, when did that awareness of, you know, this, like the awareness of where you're at and how you were different than most. And then that, 
the desire to seek out healing and, and, and try and figure out a way to calm your mind and, and heal these, these thoughts and these you know, outbursts or these emotional swings, was that yeah. something you've always like wanted to heal or was it something that like, was there a moment like, I need to figure this out because I just can't interact with life anymore? Yeah. It, yeah. So it, there was an awareness component to it because my earlier childhood, I didn't realize what I was going through was different. I actually thought that everybody experienced the same things that I did. It's just that they had much more self-control and discipline. And this reflected the message that I received growing up from parents and teachers and everybody else, that I had no self-control, that I had no discipline, and that I had no willpower. And over the years, you know, this message kind of seeped in and kind of became a limiting belief where... I wasn't good enough or something, you know, wasn't right with me. And I actually used to think that people who were successful, you know, when you see people on TV, especially uh, celebrities on the catwalk, I would look at them and I would see how just like calm and composed they were, especially when the paparazzis were taking pictures of them. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, how did they do that? How is it that their eyes aren't bugging out or their body isn't wailing. How are they in so much control? And what I realized over time is that it's not that they're trying to control something, it's that they don't have this intensity or all this activity internally that they had to control and manage. And so slowly over the years, I started to kind of become aware, like I would even look at people and when they were talking, I'm like, wow, how can they talk and and it doesn't even seem like they're trying to control what's coming out of the mouth. They're just talking normal. Or when they're sitting still, they don't have to put all this effort in. Whereas I have to do all this stuff. So all of these little experiences over time made me realize that there was something definitely going on with me. And when this shift happened of I needed to figure out what was going on was really when I f- after my first job out of college. So I graduated uh, during when the tech bubble was bursting. And a few months after graduating and a few months after starting my first job, I got laid off. And it took me a lot of interviews to find another job. So more or less, when I was younger, that behavior was okay. But as I got older and into the real world, it was like really staring in my face as a big issue that, you know, needed to be overcome and you know that's when I started kind of getting on the path of trying to figure out what it was and how to get over it so how how old were you when you decided to go travel the world in search of these deeper answers and trying to figure out you know how to how to heal this deeper part of who you are Um, and what was the intention when you did leave so I was about 30 years old. When I left, it was around 2000, uh, December of 2011. I remember that date exactly. So much of my 20s was me coming into awareness of what was going on internally and, how I, and the fact that how I was acting and behaving was not only that it wasn't normal, but it wasn't very, it didn't make people approachable. Like it didn't make me approachable like people got Mm. turned off they got shut down and in a lot of ways they avoided me and I was always wondering like what was going on and I realized 
for a long time, I used to think it was something inherently in me, this color of my skin, the country of my origin, my upbringing, or the fact that I didn't come for royalty. Um, for a long time, I thought that when people saw me, they could see right through me and they knew that I was somebody who wasn't worthy of respect for their time. Mm. And then my 20s was a lot of realizing that, wow, this is, it's not because of, of something inherently in me, but how I'm acting and behaving and how I'm coming across. So that was a lot of that in the 20s. Um, and then at, at one point, I wasn't getting along with my boss at my job. And of course, I thought it was him, but the reality was it was me. And when I look back at it, most of my jobs and my bosses and my coworkers, they were actually pretty good to me. But because of my condition, I was in many ways unmanageable, but because I was good at what I did, they kept me. And because I was unmanageable, I always blamed them, but the reality was it was me. So... I, it was December, it was fall of 2011 and I wasn't getting along with my boss and it, I lived in Chicago and it was starting to get cold. And the two years prior, we had some brutally harsh winters and I'm like, all right, no more cold. Ain't about this. <laughs> Not this time. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, I'm going to move to someplace warm. So I quit my job and I told myself, you know what? When do you get an opportunity to really take a lot of time to travel? Because during the corporate world, you get you know a few weeks here and there. So I told myself, why don't you take two weeks or two months and do some traveling? And it should probably help what's going on and you can come back a lot more calm. So I remember the exact day. It was December 6th, 2011, that I left the country. The intention was to go for two months, but then two months turned into six months and then six months turned into a year and then a year turned into a year and a half. And at the year and a half mark, I'm like, I'm not going to set any end dates. So I just kept going until I either could or I didn't want to anymore. And how long was that total trip? I I came back in September 2017. So it was about six years. Wow. And yeah. oh man, it's so amazing. And I want to dive into your travels and kind of, you know, talk a little bit about the importance of travel and the experience of just, you know, I know you've had a lot of experiences out in the world traveling, but just the act of traveling, seeing different cultures and how that does just inherently open your mind a little bit. And it does heal us on a certain level, but then kind of dive into the experiences that you were having and, and the way that you were traveling, right? Because I think you were doing it a little bit more. Um, you know, more kind of, you weren't going like place to place. I think you were traveling, you know, more by cars and vehicles and like letting, you know, your intuition kind of guide you where you're going. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about the actual journey. Yeah. um, Before I talk about the journey, I'll talk a little bit about the kind of the motivation for that journey. You know, my, my primary motivation was that I didn't feel like I was fit for the real world because of the condition I had going on. And I definitely wasn't fit for corporate America. So in a way, I was just kind of wandering and trying to figure out what was going on. So there was uh, a big escape component, like I was really Mm -hmm. kind of escaping from reality. 
But at the same time, I was also seeking healing. So as I mentioned, I had a mindset that I was willing to try anything and everything. So anything that I would hear, I would come across, whether it was, you know, teas or tinctures or drops or a specific practice or meditation, I would give it a shot. And so in a way, I was just on my, I was just, I was just like letting the wind take me. And and so that was a really cool experience. But I think the importance of travel are what I, I, what I ended up getting while I was traveling is that when you live in one country or one place, you start to assume this is the way things are. This is how people mm. act and interact. And this is what life is all about. Especially when mainstream media or the media you watch reinforces that. Here in the States, we are conditioned to live a certain way. And there's a really huge materialistic component to it. And growing up in the States, I felt like my self-worth was dependent solely on my success, my accomplishments, the money in my bank and the material possessions I had. Like it was so ingrained in me that when I wasn't, when people weren't responding to me, like positively or in a good way, I thought it was because I lacked something externally and I needed to work harder, make more money and get it. And like, this was really the belief I had. But when you get out of that situation and you see a whole different lifestyle, you start to see that, wow, people will smile and like you and accept you no matter what you're wearing, what you're doing, what you look like, and really where you come from. It's just who you are as a person. And that was like a huge paradigm shift for me. And I could have only got that from travel. I could have never really picked that up from the States because prior to my 100 country journey, I had actually driven two or through 47 45 out of the 48 continental U.S. states. And everywhere I went, it was like the same experience, like the same people, the same mindset, the same mentality. And that really solidified my thinking. But traveling internationally, it was like, it really opened Mm -hmm. me up. In fact, I have a couple of experiences to share. Initially in my journey, I would meet people from different countries. And when they find out that I'm from the States, you know what one of the first questions they asked me was? They're like, why is it whenever I meet an American, they list off their resume to me? You know, they're like, they, they want to tell me. What, yeah, what they, they want to tell me what they've done, how much they make or who they I mean, are. even when, I, when we like meet someone new in the States, it's usually like, well, what do you do for work? It's like the first kind of icebreaker question. It's all around, revolved around your status and what you're doing and how you know, that's like such an important, and we label that and identify with that so much in our country. It's really fascinating. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people who aren't from the States, from their meeting states, they're kind of getting that, you know, they meet American and they're saying, oh, I'm this, I'm that, I've done this. And a couple of the people were telling me, they're like, I don't care about that. I just want to talk to you and hang out with you. And although I didn't do that myself too much, that was like a really cue, a good cue for me. Like, wow, like this isn't actual normal behavior. So to answer your question, like traveling helps you get into a whole different 
helps you see things in a very different light. And it helps you break a paradigm that you've grown up and thought and where you think this is the way it is and this is the way it has to be. When the reality is, it's just that way in this, in this specific area or locality. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Uh, we, we, we have these stories and these programmings and these conditionings that our society and our culture implants in us at a very young age. And it's so deeply ingrained in everything that we do. And that same thing for me, when I first left the country at 24, I went to Costa Rica and I had so much fear of the unknown because I didn't know what this country was like. And we're, we're told that the the world's a scary place. You know, the media portrays that and finally going and seeing how people can live in such a different way. It not only, you know, creates a deep sense of gratitude for the gifts that we have in this country being yeah. so first world, but it also, it opens up your mind and it, it breaks you out of that initial story. And when you have that initial paradigm shift, you start questioning like, what else is a story that I'm just, you know, creating in my mind about how to yeah. interact with reality. So while you're on the road, talk about, cause I want to dive into some other, the deeper spiritual questions and kind of your journey, but maybe share two or three of the big, experiences or moments that kind of really had a change on, on yourself and the stories that you're living. Um, and you know, your healing journey too, like what were some of the deeper stories and and impacts on you, uh, during your six year journey? Yeah. So one of the main stories I had mentioned was the whole material aspect of things where I felt like my worth was really dependent on that. And the second you kind of touched on, which is, you know, growing up in the States, we're conditioned to think that U.S. is the only safe place and the world at large is very dangerous. But that's not the reality at all. I mean, I've been to 100 countries. I've been to third world countries. I've been to second world countries. I've been to industrialized nations. I've been to places where nobody has gone. And when I would try to find guidebooks about those places, I couldn't because the guidebooks didn't exist and nobody recommended it. And I'm like, what's the craziest place you've been to? <laughs> craziest place. I mean, it, I wouldn't say there's no country that's crazy, but different parts of different countries are, you know, like very, just really, really out there. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's so many different places like the Guyanas in South America. It, I, you know what? I'm going to touch on the Guyanas because South America, much of it is very Latin, you know, you've got the uh, Spanish influence and then you've got the Portuguese influence with Brazil and all the other countries. It's very Latin American and you have a Latin American culture. But then there are these three countries, uh, the French Guyana, the British Guyana, um, and then there's Suriname that are in South America, but they're just kind of hidden from the rest of South America and nobody talks about it. Nobody goes there and it's hard to get there because there's so much like deep jungle that's kind of separating the two. But I took my journey and I went to the Guyana and it was like so different from the rest of South America. Like the people over there are a, a, a mix of all these different cultures, like from Asia, from India, from Africa and you know the 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 european settlers and it's just so very unique and really unlike anything else around south america so in that respect it's very unique talk about a little bit because i know a lot of maybe you know there's even a lot of americans that that say they travel a lot but most of us are going to 
you know, pretty tourist, high populated destinations that are very, you know, comfortable and very familiar to our lifestyle. Talk about as a traveler, maybe getting on a bus or going through the jungle and finding a way to find these places that maybe aren't, aren't easily accessible. And then talk about the people there not really seeing a lot of tourists and how they kind of welcomed you and that, that interaction. And, and, you know, cause I feel like a lot of people have fear around that, like the safety, like I, I wouldn't be able to fit in, like what would they think? Um, so talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I kind of, so I, like I said, I went pretty much, you know, on all continents. So in some countries I blended better. Like if I went to a Latin American country or an African country because of the color of my skin and the way I look, I could pass off as a local. But when I went to Europe, I looked very different, especially when I went to Eastern Europe, where Eastern Europe is just like majority white. And mm. and I walk in and it's many of those countries aren't touristic, so they don't really see a lot of tourists. So when I, when I walk in, I definitely just really stand out. I could be in a, in a square or a market and there'll be thousands of people, but everyone looks very uniform and I just stand out. And that gave me a lot of insecurity. I felt like in the beginning when I started traveling, I had this feeling like people were looking at me like I didn't belong, I shouldn't be there, and they didn't want, and they didn't want me. And this is exactly what I was feeling. But that wasn't the case at all. Like most people, yeah, sure, they looked at me, but it was more out of curiosity than this feeling of I wasn't wanted. And it's really weird, like you said, the stories we play and how we interpret situations. So you can be actually in a country and interpret the situation being one way when it's really not. Yeah. Comes but back to our inner world, right? And our inner stories, how we, the lens yeah. in which we view reality is all that really exists in our world. Yeah. And that story really reflects on how that energy is reflected back on us, right? If people are looking at us in curiosity, but we feel like they're looking at us in judgment, I mean, yeah. that can change everything. Exactly. Like people are looking at us in curiosity or more just the fact that here's somebody different and the mind just pulls their eyes towards that. And they're not even really thinking anything. Their mind just pulled them in that direction. But depending on the story that we have going on in our head, we'll interpret it completely different. Mm. And initially, um, when I was traveling, I in interpreted a lot of me being in a situation environment as they knew that I shouldn't be there. And above all, I knew it myself. But that wasn't the reality because as I started interacting with people, it was as if I, I was just having another conversation with another person. But those conversations can go deeper because you're so, you're so far removed from a different culture. We're just trying to understand where the two people are coming from and finding that common ground, which is that human curiosity. Mm. And obviously these travels have changed your life in a, in a really profound way. So let's talk about your healing journey and talk about, you know, when you, when you first left to, to start traveling up till now, um, talk about that healing journey, how you kind of got to where you're at, some maybe important tools that you've developed, maybe some important experiences you had, and maybe some, you know, so share some of the wisdom that you've acquired through that journey of self-healing while on, you know, traveling experience. Yeah, Sure. So my first country that I flew into was in Colombia, 
And Colombia is, you know, one of my top countries I've visited. It's one of those countries that I've gone back to a few times where the people were just really open and very welcoming, like just smiles on their face. Even taxi drivers, um, bouncers, or just anywhere I went, I just felt this friendliness that I never had felt so much in my life growing up, especially with this condition I had or the way I was acting that was turning people off. And going over there, I really kind of started to feel the importance of what it's, what, why human connection and interaction is so important. In fact, I'm going to share you a share a story, and it happened the fir- my, my first day I got I started my trip. I remember I was in Colombia. I was in a hostel, and um, I had just got there. I think that morning, and a couple I, there was a guy at the hostel who we went to have breakfast with, and I was just kind of like expressing my frustration with him telling him how, you know, when I was in the States, I was going through all of this. And for a long part of my life, my mind was telling me, you know, once I graduate college, everything will be okay. And once I get my job, everything will be great. And once I get a nice condo by the Sears Tower, or which is called Willis Tower now, I'll be fine. And once I got all of those, everything was great. And then when things weren't working out with my boss and I decided to take a few months to quit my job and take a few months off, my mind was going, you know, once you get on that plane and start that trip, things will be fine. And I started that trip. I was there and things weren't fine. I still had a lot of internal stuff going on. And I was frustrated and I was expressing that to him. And he was this really electric hippie dude who actually all he did was camp he never stayed in hostels whenever he moved from city to city he had a tent and he'd find some wooded area where he would set up his tent and put all his stuff there and then get into the city and you know explore and you could see him often walking barefoot and this is the kind of guy he is and then he started to describe to me in the Western culture, we're so focused on the material and what we're really missing is this human connection and not only human connection, but physical contact, like mm. the actual physical, like hugging and touching and kissing and all of that. And not necessarily in a sexual way, but just in a, in, in a mam- mammalian way, because mammals mm. are meant to have a lot of physical mm. contact. And he was saying how because a lot of we're not getting it, it manifests. It manifests into emotional issues, into mental issues, and all sorts of stress and anxiety. And I was like, wow, that's really fascinating. It was the first time I'd ever heard anything about that. And I think there's a lot more conversation going on about the importance of human interactions and physical contact. But back in 2011, there wasn't really that much. That was the first time I heard it. And it was so new new and novel. And because I had this mindset, I'm willing to try anything and everything. I, I, I was like, okay, let's see what this is like. So I'm glad I met him on the first day because it really shifted my whole traveling. And I started focusing on interacting and meeting and connecting with as many people. So I forced myself to stay in hostels and not just in a private room in a hostel, but in a dorm room. Because back then I wasn't very comfortable talking to people. And if I didn't force myself into social situations, it was easy for me to isolate myself. 
And that was probably one of the reasons why I was going through a lot of what I was going through. But after meeting him and realizing that there's this key component that is really key to human behavior, and if we're not getting it, it's going to manifest. So I, that was like a key turning point that shifted. And it was really great. I was meeting a lot of different people, people from different countries, from different cultures, and I was talking and interacting with them. And it would create the kind of fulfillment that the mind tells you you would get if you bought a new car or if you bought a nice mm. jacket. You know what I'm saying? You know that feeling when you see something nice and your mind's like, you got to get that because it'll complete you or it'll give you that nice feeling. But then yeah. you get it and it doesn't do nothing. Well, those interactions and engagements was giving me that thing. Mm. And I saw how important that was. Mm. And what I really loved also is that the Latin American culture, they're very touchy-feely. And like, you know, when I would date a, uh, when I would date a Latin American girl, you know, they wanted to hold my hand and be close to me and, 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 and the physical presence be very near. And prior to that, I was a little bit more averse to it. But after hearing what this guy had told me, I became more open and I allowed myself to go in that direction. And there was this like a nurturing in physical contact that just, you're just not, that's just, that you a nurturing that you can't get any other way. In fact, there's so much science around it. There's so much science around the importance of actual physical contact, hugging somebody, holding hands, uh, and all of that. And we humans are we have all sorts of neurons that get nourishment from it. And when we're not doing that enough, then it manifests, which is why cultures that are very touchy you'll notice that their smiles from ear to ear. They're very mm. happy. It doesn't matter what they have or what they don't have, but they're just like very happy and like child, joyous. And, you, and I saw that over and over whenever I'd go into a country that where the contact was very, um, very comfortable or very yeah. acceptable. Yeah, it's really fascinating that we're living in a time now, especially with this pandemic going on where we're forced to stay six feet apart, right? I know, I know. Talk a little bit about your thoughts behind behind that and how that, I mean, it's, it's, it's even, it's so much deeper than just like trying to protect ourselves from getting sick, right? It's, it creates a lot of mental health issues when we're not able to, not only not able to touch and be close to one another, because we have like even a, I think some, I think the HeartMath Institute actually has done studies on uh, six feet away is, is the energy of our heart center. Actually, you can measure that um, with actual yeah. instruments that there's this energy field. And when we don't share even that energy field, even if it's not physical contact, but being close to people, being able to share that love and that energy is so healing. And it's not only that we don't get that. Now, if someone comes close, we, uh, we have a fear response to that. Yeah. And like how damaging that could be, not only individually, but us as a culture and society as well. That's a really huge point, Joe. And when COVID first hit and they started putting in these social distancing guidelines, that was my immediate reaction. As humans, we are built to have not only just interaction, but physical contact. And as I mentioned, we get nourishment from it and it actually improves our immune system. And it gives us, this is all going on unconsciously. We're not thinking, oh, my immune system is improving. But, you know, when we're, when we're around somebody or when we have contact, 
unconsciously the mind is perceiving as, okay, I matter. Uh, there's a purpose to my existence in this world. And it continues to, you know, keep keeping you healthy and focused so you can do things to survive or, you know, just exist. But when we remove these things, even not just the physical contact, but just creating that energy field, when we remove it, the unconscious is responding it as, okay, I'm in isolation. I am disconnected. And I'm not part of that tribe that I evolved to be part of. And things start slowing down. Things start shutting down, including our immune system. And it's kind of a catch-22, but I do feel like without some sort of nourishment from other humans or other groups of humans, we can uh, allow us to be more exposed to disease and in health, including COVID. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about like the bigger picture of why we're here as humans and this whole experience of reality. Right. And I know you have a deep perspective and you have through your healing journey, um, you know, had this been on a spiritual path as well of learning a little bit more and asking the deeper questions and you've experienced different cultures and societies. So when you do that, it really widens your lens of reality and what it means. And, you know, I always try and ask, like, what what is the purpose of life? Why are we here? Uh, what is this experience all about? Obviously, we're going through this global pandemic, and there, for me personally, I feel like there's this huge collective shift happening. And to a lot of people, that you know, I feel like ninety percent of the population is really scared of change. There's this fear of the unknown, and even though it might be looking towards a positive shift, we get so stuck in the old and the known that it's hard for us to let go. So talk about your perspective on on what the, the purpose of it all is and, and where we're headed and why we're even here. Yeah, well, you know, having listened to your podcast, one of the ways your podcast starts off is you say how one of the things that you've always thought about is why are we here and some of these other questions. And I think the reason we connect on such a deep level and we have such good conversations, Joe, is because I've been asking that same question as well. And I'll kind of tell you the different answers I've come up with throughout my journey here on earth. First is when I was younger, I was born in a country that was predominantly one religion. And so my belief system- What country was that? It was, I was born in Dubai, but I lived in Pakistan. So yeah. yeah. And my belief system was that the purpose was that, you know, when you die, you're judged by God. And either if you did good on earth, you went to heaven. And if you didn't, you went to hell. So the purpose here, purpose of life is to, in a way, please God or to do good here so you can have a better afterlife. Right. Mm. And then I moved to the States. And I remember when I was in a freshman in college in my biology class, I got introduced to the concept of evolution and it was like, it really like blew my mind of this whole new way of thinking. And for me, it really resonated with me. Evolution in a lot of ways really connected me and it like hit my core when I, when I heard about it. And so I was really influenced by a lot of evolutionary psychology. I read a lot of books by evolutionary psychologists, such as Jeffrey Miller, who wrote a book, a fantastic book called The Mating Mind. And 
Um, this was guy there was, some resistance that came up when you, cause you know, I grew up in a Christian household and you know, obviously Christians, they say there's, I'm, I'm sure there's different like sex, but the evolution isn't real, right? Like God created earth and they take this Genesis story very literally. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I'm not um, super familiar with the religion you grew up with, but was there resistance in your mind of like accepting that narrative or was it like, as soon as you heard it, like that rings true and resonates? That, it was a letter. So when I heard it, I was like, it, the moment I heard it, it just rang true and it resonated with me. And I think it's because um, the religion that my parents grew up in and they put on me, they're not anti- And what religion was that? Just so we can put some context on? Yeah, yeah. It's Islam. In, Islam. In, okay. Yeah. Is that Islam, at least with my experience, has never had an issue with evolution and there's never been a fight with evolution. Okay. So I never actually had anybody telling me that evolution was not was wrong or this and that. In fact, I never even heard about evolution, which is weird because it took me until freshman year being in high school that I actually first heard about evolution. Wow. And because I didn't have that conditioning that, oh no, don't listen to that or it's a dark side, I kind of came in with an open mind. Okay. And also the reason was because up until then, my experience with religious people or at least the ones that I met was that everyone was telling me to act this way and that way. And if I didn't do this, I'd go to hell. But none of them were following their uh, own advice, you know, like the hypocrite, huh? Yeah. And I want to actually kind of touch on my my first experience with the purpose of life, which I said was based on my first religion, is when you grow up in a country or environment where that's the only ideology, that's the only belief, and that's the only thought, as you're growing up, you can't help or your mind can't help but accept that it's the only way because all you see is everybody talking about it and doing it. There's no other Mm -hmm. concept. So in a way, your mind is going, well, if everybody's doing it, not everybody could be wrong, right? Mm. And so it's very natural to accept it. But because, at least with the way it was approached for me, it was kind of harsh. You know, like, if, you don't, if you're not good, you'll burn an eternal hellfire. And the, my, te- my you know, educational teachers came from a very, like, mean perspective. It kind of gave me a lot of trauma and PTSD, to be honest. Mm. You know, like I my mind that. is always going like, don't do this because you'll, you'll go yeah, to hell. It creates, it creates fear and creates shame. And so you're yeah. constantly in this, this state of feeling like you're not worthy enough, you're not good enough. And it creates that, instills it in us at a very young age. And we're constantly, yeah, feeling like we're, we're never going to live up. Like we're born in the dirt and we're dirty and we have to continually prove ourselves to this God that, and if we don't, then he's going to smite us. And we're, it's a very, and it's a story that you easily get caught up in and yeah. people get that fear cycle really creates a, a, like this, this idea that I do, I don't want to burn in hell. Yeah. And so you have to continue to follow and try and figure out how to become a better version. But you can't do that from a place of shame because it's a perpetual cycle that keeps you kind of lower like vibration and frequency that you can't actually heal those things in you from a place of shame. Exactly. You know, I completely agree. You can't, you can't get out of it. You know, when you're in the shame, it's really like hard to get out of it. You get stuck and it just becomes a spiral and just takes you downward. 
And then when you have other people constantly reinforcing like everything that you're doing and even things that just seem like normal things, but they label it as a bad or God will judge you for it. At a certain point, I was just like, there's like nothing I can do that where God won't judge me for it. And so mm. I was already starting to begin to like question and resist it. So when the evolutionary idea came about, it really made sense. <clears throat> but another reason the evolution really hit home for me is because when I was going through that crazy experience, you know, like that intensity that I had and um, the hyperactive thoughts and the emotions and changing states constantly, you know, I prayed to God a lot and it didn't help. I didn't get any healing from it. And as I was trying to understand things, the explanations that religion was giving me, because I even tried to learn about other religions like Christianity and Judaism and Buddhism. It, it just wasn't helping me understand what was going on. But evolutionary psychology was giving me better answers and was equipping me with the things I needed to be able to not only understand what was going on, but why it was there and why I had so much intense fear around people and things like that that it really resonated with me for a long time. And then um, I, so the thing with evolution is the main ideology is like, when you look at all the different life forms, like down to the even single cell organisms, what does every single life form have in common is that it wants to reproduce. Mm. Right. It just procreation, right? Yeah. Even single cell life organisms, they're just trying to reproduce. And then I realized the purpose of life was to reproduce. So sex and getting laid, you know? Mm. Once I got past that, it was I started to realize that there really was no purpose. And because every time I want to do something or or think about something greater to become or to reach for something that wasn't in my direct vicinity, my mind would go into all of like, well, what's the point? You know, why do that? And then I would say, well, I can have a nice car. Well, what's the point of a nice car? Mm. Well, then people will like me. Well, what's the point of people like you? And to the point where I was like, well, it's to get this to be remembered. So at a certain, for a short period, I thought the purpose was to be remembered. But then my mind came up and was like, well, who cares if you get remembered? Because that eventually everyone was the ego, out. right? Because you won't really actually get remembered. unless. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's the ego. And then I realized when my mind was saying there's no purpose, it wasn't, it wasn't really my voice. It was my fear. And so I talk a lot about a concept called internal resistance. And that concept more or less is a part of our mind is designed to hold us back. It's designed to keep us from growing and making progress. And there's all sorts of psychological reasons for why that is. If it doesn't go against your beliefs or your identity or so all sorts of other issues, your mind will put the brakes on that decision and keep you from moving forward. But here's the thing. The mind is it like is a protection good. mechanism almost yeah. like trying to keep you in your comfort zone so that you know exactly what to expect so that 
you feel safe and it's, it is like a, like a inherent need to feel safe and, and have these, like our survival instincts, right? Create fear of something unknown. It actually protects us from, you know, potentially dying, especially where we evolved in the jungle and stuff like that. And it's hard to, you know, deal with those in our current society, which is very, very new in the evolutionary psychology and evolutionary kind of time frame of where humans came from, right? Yeah, it's exactly our protection mechanism. And we can even go as far as to say it's our defense mechanism. But yeah. I don't use those words only because um, when you use the word descent, people have heard the word defense mechanism so much that when you use it, because I write, so I understand how words affect each um Mm. Have an effect Words on are us. powerful, huh? Yeah. So if we use a word that people already know what it means, they can't really understand it at a deeper level. Mm. Right. So it more totally. or less is our defense mechanism, but it's much more complex than we realize. There's so many yeah. things playing like family systems and trauma and habits and addictions and um instant gratification. Those are all things that the mind has to evaluate every time we make a decision. And Anytime we make a decision that goes against these things that I mentioned, our mind will put the brakes on it. And so because of a lot of the trauma and things I experienced and the limiting beliefs I had, anytime I didn't want to try to do something greater, my mind was going, oh, well, what's the point? There's no purpose to it all and all of that. And so that was really my defense mechanism, my fear, my things trying to hold me back. and. What's really interesting is when our defense mechanism kicks in, it doesn't really tell us it kicks in. It mm. uses all sorts of manipulative tricks to keep us keep us from doing what it is that mm. we want to do. That's right. It's really tough to have an awareness of it because it comes in so many different forms and so subtly that we think it's actually us. And you know, I guess it is an aspect of us, which is difficult. So it knows us better than we know ourselves. So it can use these different tools and mind tricks. So what is that what is that piece of you that wants to reach for something greater and then what's that piece of you that creates the resistance of not I mean because I think that's this duality experience that we live in right and I think you know a lot of religions label that as good and evil like you have the yeah. angel on one shoulder and the demon on the other and they're kind of fighting so talk about your perspective on that like what is the deeper part of you that wants to you know feels like there is a purpose feels like there's something you want to accomplish and I'm not talking about you know, the material things, even though if that's something you want to achieve and that's something you want to enjoy, then there's nothing wrong with that. But it's like, what is the difference between those things? Yeah. And you kind of touched on it. It is, the religion does kind of talk about it as this, um, the angel and the demon and as in a good and bad way, but it really isn't. So what's really going on is that in our mind, we have a mechanism that creates wants. Its whole purpose is to create wants. And it is creating wants one after another. And the, in many ways, our wanting mechanism is unleashed. It's creating wants one after another. It seems somebody with nice shoes and wants it. A nice car drive, drives by, we want that too. We see somebody attractive and we want that as well. So this mechanism is just constantly creating wants and it's really on, on the screen. And then we have another mechanism that is designed to gauge that want to see that if it's okay to go after it. And so that's a mechanism that holds us back. So we have one mechanism 
that's pushing us towards something and another mechanism that's pulling us away. So you can see your whole life as this constant push and pull. The wanting mechanism wants it's, it's pulling you towards things that it thinks might be useful and beneficial. And then your internal resistance is holding you back, evaluating that want to see, to make sure that it is something that's going to be safe and dangerous. And based on all of our past experiences and the identities that we form and the beliefs that we have in our head and all sorts of other things, like I said, it's pretty complex. It goes into family systems and traumas and habits. It'll evaluate our want and decide if it'll let, give us the go-ahead or the green light to go. If it doesn't go give us a green light, we can't do it no matter how hard we try. So we could have this huge yearning and huge big desire for something and crave it with all our heart. But if uh, the part of our mind that holds us back says, nope, too dangerous. Nope, this is not in line with your belief. Nope, this is not in line with these other criteria. You can't really act and you get stuck in the state where you want something, but you just can't get yourself to do it. Does that make so sense? How do, you how do you transcend that? Like, how do you how do you actually go on this path of growth, right? Because you obviously had a lot of that before you started traveling and you've worked to this point where you're continuing to push yourself through those walls and those, those self-limiting beliefs, those resistances that you have. How do you, how do you show someone like to transcend that and really find this growth path and go into the unknown and try to transcend that fear that shows up? Well, resistance arises well, there's two different ways. One is to understand that your own want can be a resistance because our, our wanting mechanism so, creates so many wants in one day that we couldn't achieve them all in a lifetime. You know, it's just creating so many. And so anytime we pick one want to focus, to go after, our wanting mechanism will create another one and pull us away, and then another one and pull us away, and another one and pull us away. And you see that as an issue in society right now. Totally. And that's why people always feel unfulfilled, right? Because they don't have control of that wanting mechanism is the way you label it. So how, yeah. do, we, how do we kind of get that under control and yeah. slow it down and focus on the things that we know are going to actually add value to our lives and the things that our deeper, higher self really want to go after rather than just filling it with a bunch of fleeting material things? Yeah. Well, I, I want to add to the that we don't have control of it. Plus also mainstream media and society, they're all just like creating shiny things in front of our face. Yeah. Consumer culture, make, materialistic culture. It's just all around us all the time. That jacks up our wanting mechanism even more. I was so. even driving down the, like driving back from Vegas, you know, the other, like last week. And it's, I was just looking up and it's fascinating how many just big ass billboards there are yeah. Like selling us stuff constantly. Yeah. And every billboard you see creates this need to have it. And then you see another billboard and it's like, no, I want that. And then I want that. And that's really what's going on with the wanting mechanism. And so advertisement is just jacking it up. And the real way to get handle on it is to take out several sheets of paper and write down all the wants that you have, not just for now, both the wants you have for your future and the wants that you had in the past that weren't realized. Because what we don't realize is that we're only, at, the way the mind works is we're only aware of a few items at a time. Consciously, we can only hold a few items at a time. And so we're only aware of a few wants at a time. 
So we might become aware of this one specific one and decide, hey, I'm going to go after it. But then there's all these other wants that are percolating inside and then they'll show up at random times and then they'll distract you. So if you can write down every want that you've had for now, for the future and for the past that haven't been realized, you can get it all onto paper and you can see just how many wants you have. And it will be like a very eye-opening experience. And if a person does this exercise and they haven't filled two sheets of paper with their wants, then they're not being honest with themselves because Mm. they have so many different wants. And then from all those wants, you have, I don't like using the word have, you have to, but it really helps to narrow in on one. Mm. You know, of the hundreds that are pulling us in all these different directions, to really pick one. What I teach people to do is to pick one want and to realize that they have to give up these other wants. And when they come back up trying to pull them, they can tell them, no, this is the one want. Because you have an awareness of it now. Like this is something that's not my focus of attention right now. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the, you know, like even awareness in general and the idea of consciousness and even having an awareness of this seemingly separate part of us, this mechanism you're talking about that's in our mind. And then we have this conscious awareness of these things that come up. And the more we can improve this awareness and train this awareness to see these things as not who we are, but this mechanism in our mind that's telling us we want these things. I think part of you know, creating space from that is part of the journey of not attaching to it. Because every time, if you don't have that space to it, every time a want comes up, you're going to immediately be distracted and go after that thing. And then that's why you feel like you're pulled in all these different directions. So talk about the consciousness and awareness and what, what is that even mean? Like, where does yeah. that come from? Yeah. I mean, there's so many ways I can answer this question and I don't know, I'm going to say something and I don't know if that'll even answer the question, but at least it'll give us a good conversation about consciousness and awareness. Mm. And I want people to realize that, you know, we aren't these, we aren't these being with the brain inside of us, or you're not Joe with like a two pound brain in your head. You're not, you know what I'm saying? Like consciousness doesn't come from the hardware of the brain is what you're saying. No, no, no. What I'm saying is that like, you're not this, uh, the identity or the story of who I think I am. Yeah. You're actually a figment of the brain's imagination. Hmm. You know, it's really interesting. It's hard to really wrap our head around it. But this personality of me, Cam, and you, Joe, isn't this, it's just a figment of, the brain created it so you can interact and move around the world and interact with Mm. people around you. Which is why, you know, there are such things as multiple personalities where the brain Mm. is creating multiple identities and it really comes down to, you know, it usually happens from trauma. And it's really the brain going, huh, well, this identity is doing a terrible job of, you know, helping Interacting me with reality navigate at this the moment. world because yeah. all I'm doing is getting abused. I'm going to create a new identity and see how this person interacts. And if that doesn't do a good job, it creates a new one. And sometimes it will cycle through those personalities Depending on the situation, right? Yeah. yeah, whatever situation is different. So in many ways, that's like like 
who I am as Joe and who you who I am as Ken and who you are as Joe and who the listeners are. Um, we're just kind of, in many ways, just a figment of the brain's imagination. There's a small part of the brain that just created this feeling of I and I am this and I need to do this. I think that's a really important thing, right? Because then when you have that realization, you, you realize that your identity is a construct of the environment you grew up in, the people you're around, the society you live in. That's why we talked about earlier traveling so important because it kind of breaks you out of that story of this is what reality is and it widens your lens. And when you have that awareness, you can almost start creating the story that you want to live or the identity that you want to have. If you feel like, I wish I was more like this, you know, when you, when you have this awareness that, oh, I, I, I can be, I can create the story yeah. of who I want to become. Let's talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, so <clears throat> I guess it all comes down to who you were is not who you are, and it doesn't mm. mean it's who you have to be. Mm. And if we do put in the work and bring awareness to what's going on internally, we can make the changes that we desire. And a key, key aspect of the awareness equation is understanding how the mind is going to trick and manipulate us from doing that. Because remember I mentioned one part of resistance is that we have a monitoring mechanism that's unrestrained and it's creating so many wants. It'll, it, that in of itself creates resistance because we can get lost in the sea of wants. But then once we do pick a want, what will happen is our mind, if there is resistance to achieving it, our mind will find all sorts of detours to keep us going towards it. And to be aware of your detours, like what is it that your mind uses whenever it's time to take action on this goal or this uh, endeavor that you do that makes you think it's helping you get closer, but it's not. You know, for me, one of those detours was my mind going, well, what's the point? There's no purpose to this, it's, you know? And every time that once was a point came out, it really shut down me taking action. But that's just one thing. There's so many other things that happen. Uh, one important thing is that we forget. So we set a goal and then we forget that we forgot the goal. And then we're just wandering through life again, aimlessly. So we need to keep the goal on top of mind. Other things is that we'll get busy with other stuff. So we're like, okay, this is what I want to do. And then all of a sudden, our mind will remind, of, remind us of all these other things that are unrelated to the goal, but we feel compelled to act on before we actually start on the goal. Or we might feel like we're not prepared or ready enough. And so we'll go into a heightened sense of preparation. So we're spending all this time preparing to take action on our goal or take, to take action on um, this direction, but never really taking action. And that preparation gives us the false feeling that we're actually moving forward when all we're doing is really being spun around in circles. So mm -hmm. it's really important to be aware of how your mind is kind of leading you astray. And as you had mentioned, our internal resistance, the mechanism that holds us back, it's so sly. It has all sorts of tricks up the sleeve to the point it seems like you're the one who made the decision or you're the one who thought of this idea when it was just a manipulative trick. Mm. 
you know? Yeah. Beautiful. Where does, uh, bringing it back a little bit, where does, where does God play a role in all of this, you know, internal awareness, consciousness, and talk about your journey through growing up in, in the Islam religion and finding, um, evolution, evolutionary psychology, really resonating with that and talk about your journey and your belief. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people have the, a, a resistance to the word God. My def- definition of God has definitely evolved over my understanding and my experience of what it actually means. I like synonyms for the universe, greater intelligence, you know, Native American traditions call it great spirit, just something that is greater than us that is, you know, almost you know, the creation, like what, what created this experience and, you know, so talk about a little bit how that involves in this work and your journey and of uh, how that evolved. All right. Well, this is going to be a long winded question because <laughs> like you, I've thought about this a lot and through my various experiences, it's given me different angles and reactions towards God. So in the beginning I was given, I was taught, I was taught about an angry God, a God that judges, a God that tells you if you're not this, then you can't do that and all of that. And over time, that created a lot of resistance and in a way, authority issue. And in fact, I was angry at the word God and I was angry at the God that I was presented with. And I had that anger in me. And every time anybody would say God, my teachings or um understanding of psychology evolution evolution psychology would come in and want to really shut down the person who would bring up god and be like you know there's no god and evolution and all of that but as much as you know my understanding of evolution really helped me there was something it was also limiting me in because it was keeping me from being connected to something bigger my anger and whatever towards anybody saying or using the word God was in of itself a hindrance to experiencing the fullest thing I could with another person or just in general. And so now I've started doing a 12-step program. I don't know if you know much about 12-step. Most people started, most people Think of it as Alcoholic Anonymous, but there are all sorts of um, 12-step programs. There's Debtors Anonymous, there's um, Gamblers Anonymous, and even for like people who had a rough upbringing. And so that's the one that I'm doing. And one of the first things to do is talk about God. And I had a lot of resistance to it. What is that? What is that? um, What is that um, called? Just so people that might be interested in it have uh, some context of what that. Yeah, it's called Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families. So the acronym is ACA. And you don't have to have come from a family of alcoholics, but just from dysfunction. And it's such a powerful program. And the book that we work off of, it's called The Big Red Book. And personally, me and other people I know who have been in the path of personal development and growth their whole life, think this is one of the best personal development books ever written because it so goes into your core. It really talks about your upbringing and your issues at growing up that really form and shape the way you are. And if you want to talk about awareness and becoming more aware, it really gives you awareness of a lot of your behaviors because mm-hmm. 
a lot of our a lot of our behaviors and actions and decisions we think we're just doing it but really it was formed as a response to trauma and experiences that happened from childhood so i really highly recommend this program and that's a shared experience for everyone right because every we just talked about earlier our identity our ego construct who we think we are is developed from our interaction with reality and if we you know in this idea of trauma is is doesn't need to be a negative thing. It's really any kind of story we've created on how to interact with the world. We all have our personalities and our identities were developed through our upbringing. Whether that's labeled as good or bad, you can still learn to question that. And then when you realize and go into kind of the story of how you were brought up, you can realize that it is just a story that was created to interact with the world. So this work is really for everyone. Yeah, I, I you really hit it on the head. It really can help a lot of people and it does help you create awareness of that story that you're using that, or that was formed to help you interact with the world. But once you realize that story isn't really helping you that much and and you learn to change it, it can really open the doors for creating some shifts in your life. And that's why I've gone to this program because it's, I think it's that powerful. And what's really great is that because it's a tough step program, it's completely free. You just have to find a group that holds AC meetings and then find a sponsor and then work the steps. And I mean, for something talk about, the, talk about the steps and talk about how, you know, cause I know a lot of 12 step programs, there is this in, involvement. A key piece of it is this, this, this power or intelligence that is greater than yourself. I know they don't like to label it. It's like from a non-dualistic place, but it is a yeah. big part of the journey of being human is believing in something greater than yourself, right? Exactly. And that's why I was bringing up the 12-step program because immediately when you start the 12 steps, they start talking about God. And they're very, um, they're very like open about it. They're not saying God of this religion of that religion. They're, they're describing God as how you had described it earlier. It's some, it's a word to use to describe some sort of higher power or something that's bigger than us. And so the word that this program uses is higher power. Mm. And it's interchanged with God. But it's recognizing there's something bigger than you that is there to help and support you and guide you if you need it there. Mm. And so, you know, I kind of started coming a little bit more full circle. So I had... I was brought up with this concept of a specific kind of God, a judging God, uh, in some ways an angry God. And then I rejected God to the point where anybody who would bring up God, I would bring up science and try to negate the existence of God. Mm. And then I started realizing that there was a certain level of healing or growth that I just couldn't achieve if I didn't change my anger towards it. And with this program, they kind of talk about God not in the ways that we were brought up. And they even go into detail about how, you know, God doesn't have to be the way that you were brought up. You can kind of um, create your own version of a God. And now I've become a lot more open and receptive to the concept of God. There's still part of me that gets a little charge when people talk about God, but mm. I am learning to be more open to realize that there is some higher power because the fact that I'm here, <laughs> given everything I've had to go through, like 
You know, many people in my condition would have either ended up in jail, dead, or in uh, institution, like a mm. psychiatric ward. So there must have been some guiding force that was helping me through this journey of like, okay, you mm. need to be in this country. You need to meet this person. You need to hear about this healing practice. You need to understand this meditation. When were you traveling? Did you did you feel that? Did you feel like you were kind of being guided by something and you know, that this idea of synchronicities and things coming and happening like that are so improbable and, you know, some kind of guiding force leading you on this journey. Did you feel that while you were going through it? I did, but a part of myself didn't want to acknowledge it because it mm. meant acknowledging something greater. And mm. because I wanted to come from a very scientific perspective, I, I didn't allow it. But when I would tell people my stories, they're like, dude, man, this is, this is exactly what's going on. <laughs> And when I look back at it, it's like, yeah, I mean, as tough as this condition was, like, I'm going to tell you how bad things were for me, because there's some things I've opened up that I haven't really shared with you outside of this. But so when I was traveling, I would do some really cool and amazing hikes. And some of these hikes would go to some really ex- um, top of really extreme altitudes. So I hiked the uh, you know, largest mountain range in Africa and some of the highest peaks in Latin America and whatever. And I had so much pain and it wasn't the kind of pain where you're cut or physical pain, but it was a deeper rooted pain that I could never numb myself from. And, and I had tried numbing it with all sorts of different things. And even at one point drugs and it never could. And I remember on some of these hikes, I would stand at the ledge of some of these cliffs and just think to myself, one more step and I could end all this misery. And, you know, I never, I never took that step. I don't know why I didn't, but this is just to kind of um, let you know that this is the level of pain I was going through. And that pain is like, what kind of put me on this journey to really understand what's going on, you know? Like, it, it. my travels, when you hear a hundred countries, you know, it wasn't like I was staying in five-star hotels and things like mm. that. You know, I mean, I was hitchhiking. I was sleeping in my tent under bridges. I was, um, you know, just doing a lot of things that somebody without this strong level of pain and motivation for healing just wouldn't take the risks mm. I was taking. Yeah, you were out in the world, like living it, and you're really searching for healing and you know, there's definitely got to be something deeper inside you that is searching for that truth, for that experience, for that reason why. And I just want to acknowledge after you sharing that, um, you know, first of all, thank you for sharing that journey. But, you know, how proud I am of you for really like going out and trying to heal yourself from such a deep wounded pain and deep place. And a lot of people do numb themselves out. They do give up. They do you know, decide to commit suicide or whatever it is. And, and you kept going and to see where you're at now and your ability to share your journey and show up and trying to help others uh, by sharing your journey and, and teaching these mindset practices and sharing your wisdom. It's, it's really amazing. I just want to acknowledge you for that and, and just let you know how proud I am of you. Wow, man. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> Hearing yeah. that made the whole journey worth it. <laughs> yeah, man. It's really yeah. beautiful. Um, one of my last questions I like to ask everybody is, you know, what do you, what do you think happens when you die? You know, when this human experience is over, 
what do you believe is going to happen to us or, you know, is there an afterlife? Like what, what's your belief system now? Huh? Another long answer. <laughs> so, um, what I believe, I don't, I know I've listened to your other podcasts and many of the guests that you have on. And I think even you have a belief that there is something more and that, men, and that, that we will live uh, multiple lives. And many people I have met in my journey, especially through travels, have talked about multiple lives and that they're so convinced of it. <clears throat> in fact, sometimes prior to meeting a lot of these people, when I'd hear about the concept of multiple lives, I just thought people who thought that weren't educated or they were just woo-woo and whatever. And obviously my journey has matured me, so I don't judge that anymore. Especially because I met some really cool people, really interesting people, really grounded people, and they still feel that way. And so I actually it started to help me, it started to make me become a little bit more open to the concept of uh, to multiple lives. In fact, I actually remember when I was in Brazil, I met a woman who had the amazing ability to look into your eyes and she could tell your past, present, and future. Mm. And back then, like I said, I wasn't into that. And I just, I had my judgments around people like that. But this woman, I met her in Brazil, so there's no way that she knew me. And when she looked into my eyes and told me about my past and present, it was like really profound. In fact, she was the first person, this was a year and a half into traveling, who was like, Cam, I don't see you as a person who's trying to get to somewhere, but some, but a person who's trying to run away from something. Mm. And it was really the first time I realized, wow, I'm really running away from something. And it was a couple of the things I had mentioned earlier on in the podcast. And I had I'd done some sessions with her and she told me some really profound things about my family and my mom and my dad that I didn't know, but it just really so true. And one of the things she said is, Cam, you have lived many lives. You're like near the end of your journey. And I, that's what I feel like. You know, I feel like I am like... I am near the end of my journey and I don't see the need to extend life more than it has to be. And so for me, what I think, at least for me, I don't know how it is for other people, is what Napoleon Hill in his book, Think and Grow Rich, talked about death. So I don't know if you've read Think and Grow Rich. Um, it's been a while since I've... Okay. Uh, yeah. So in the book, he talks about the six ghosts of fear, the six fears that are holding people back from gaining financial security and living that life they want. And one of those fears is the fear of death. Mm. And he goes through each of the fears and talks about how to like, to help, to help you relieve yourself from that fear. And one of the things, the thing that Napoleon, sell, Napoleon Hill says about death is he's like, when you die, there's, he's like, there's nothing to fear of death because when you die, you'll just have eternal sleep, you know, eternal blissful sleep. And that's what I believe. And that's mm. actually in many ways what I'm yearning for. Just like mm. rest. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what resonates with me at my core. Mm, beautiful. Thank you for sharing that journey. Um, yeah. One final question. Um, 
you know, when you do approach the end and, and this journey and this experience of life, um, in this iteration of time, whatever you believe is over, uh, what do you want to be remembered for? Okay. So I know you asked this question in two ways. Like what's one thing you want to tell people or like, or how do you want to be remembered? If I can give one person one advice, it would be, so I'm going to preface it with something a um, little bit longer. So when I do podcasts, you know, often I get asked, it's like, what's one advice you can give somebody or what's a key to this or what's the key to success? I want people to understand that there is no one key. I think there are multiple characteristics and traits and habits and, and things that we need to be able to be successful. And often the people who think that there's a key or one thing that's the key driver to everything usually have all the other stuff in place. And it was just this one thing that was bottlenecking them. And once they get over it, they get huge success. And then they realize, wow, it's this, this big key that everybody needs to know. But it was a big key for them because they had everything else. So if you don't have, you know, the discipline and like I mentioned, all these other things going, then, you know, one thing is not going to do anything. But if there was one thing, I would say <laughs> it is consistency. Mm. There's one section, um, one <clears throat> thing I can teach people is to be consistent. Consistent means showing up on a day, regular basis, day in and day out, week after week, month after month. Not showing up for a few weeks, hitting it really strong and then stopping and then going strong for a few months and then stopping again. I personally believe whatever somebody wants to do, whether, whether they want to grow themselves spiritually or financially or in other ways, is to show up regularly and consistently just every day. If you show up regularly with mediocre effort, you will make far greater progress than showing up with your A-game intermittently. Mm. So whatever it is people are looking for is to be consistent. And then what do I want to be remembered for? I don't know. Like in my journey, there were so many things I wanted people to remember me for, to be somebody who was smart and figured things out and to be somebody who did all these great things. And, you know, it was all the egos coming in and, I don't know. I don't have the answer for that one right now. That's a good answer. I love right. it. Beautiful, man. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time, man. I know this is going to be a really impactful episode for those that listen. Um, let people know where they can find you. I know you got some some courses that you're providing to help people with their mindset and overcoming internal resistance and maybe where people can reach out and connect with you. Yeah, sure. So I'm an author of 10 books and they can find my books on Amazon or most retailers. All they have to do is type in Cam Knight and most of my books will show up. But my some of my deepest, proudest work that talks about this concept of internal resistance and that goes really deep into the human mind and the human condition to help you understand why you do what you do, but more importantly, why you can't get yourself to do what it is you want to do. I've got a, call, a course called Conquer Internal Resistance to Achieve Your Next Goal. And you can get more information on my site at mindlily.com. Um, you can sign up for my newsletter that'll give you more information about the course. And from there, 
um, you can get in touch with me and find out more information about what I'm doing. Beautiful, man. I really appreciate you coming on and we'll definitely do this again because I want to dive into a little bit more about the state of the world and some of the conspiracy theories that we talk about regularly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That'd be awesome, man. Anytime. Thanks, brother. Really appreciate you sharing your journey and being so open and vulnerable. And yeah, man, I'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Thanks again for having me. This is fantastic. And, you know, it's hard. Um, in traditional podcasts, you don't really get an opportunity to go really this deep. So I really respect what you're doing and bringing a really new perspective for people to think about and percolate on. So this is really fantastic. Thanks, brother. Gratitude for the sunrise. Gratitude for the sunshine. Gratitude for the moonlight. Every day feels like a new life. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Cam. Uh, he's really fascinating dude. And I feel like we barely scratched the surface. Um, he provides a lot of value. He's a fun guy to talk to. Um, yeah. If you're interested in learning more about his program and uh, we'll be in the show notes. Uh, look for you know the internal resistance if it's something you're really working through. He can really help. Uh, really excited to be on this journey with him. Go check out his books. He's got ten books written all about mindset. There's one on how to read faster and process information and mind mapping and all this crazy shit that he's figured out along his journey. Um, it's really cool. He hasn't actually shared a lot about his experience of traveling to 100 countries. I'm trying to get him to write more of a personal journey book. Uh, so reach out to him, connect with him. And until next time, peace.